Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Are you good? Excellent. I have one question for you. Are you ready for more? So, um, this morning we're going to examine the, the next part of our kingdom culture. So, first slide there, Barry, if you don't mind, um, shows us there that pendulum is swinging. Time to get that pendulum swinging. You see there the list of, of the, the elements of the values of the aspects of our kingdom culture. We're ready to tweak another dial. So what we've been saying is if, if we want more, a few things are going to have to change. A few things are going to have to shift. A few dials are going to have to be tweaked. The pendulum's going to have to swing and the spiritual temperature is going to have to rise. So this morning... Uh, we're on number five, one to go. And number five is naturally supernatural. And I wonder what jumps into your mind when I say those two words, naturally supernatural. I, I reckon for me, my mind jumps straight into Jesus' ministry. Three and a half years characterized by all sorts of miracles and remarkable healings and signs and wonders. So humor me just for a second. I want to start with a little game. I'd like you to close your eyes for a second. And I'd like you to imagine what it would have been like to have been on the scene with Jesus. He's in your village. He's just told some heartwarming parables about grace, and now he is healing people everywhere. Must have been amazing to have actually been there, don't you think? Can you imagine the sense of excitement and anticipation? The joy at seeing your loved ones healed the warmth and the confidence that you would have undoubtedly felt just being around Jesus. You can open your eyes now, you might fall asleep. As one of his close followers, waking up to a new day, I wonder what you would have been expecting. In some ways, I reckon glorious unpredictability. But I reckon in other ways, it would have been extremely predictable because Jesus set out his stall right at the start. Remember Luke 4 verse 18. Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And if you remember that story in Luke 4, Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read that passage from Isaiah 61 and declared, today this is fulfilled in your midst. In other words, this is my mandate. This is what I stand for. This is what I intend to do. This is my purpose. This is my priority. This is my passion. And then, of course, the gospel stories 
showed Jesus living out at six, uh, sorry, Isaiah 61. The sick were healed. The dead were raised. The lame leapt. The deaf heard and the blind saw. The lost were found. The broken were put back together. The rejected were loved. Sinners were forgiven. And captives were set free. And here's the point. This was to be the nature of the kingdom. And what followed, of course, was after Luke chapter 4 was, was Jesus spent three and a half years systematically teaching and demonstrating. Working that, that upside down, radically different culture. And Jesus was relentlessly preparing the soil. He was setting an atmosphere. He was creating expectation. And he was defining a new normal. In essence, Jesus spent three and a half years introducing the ways of the kingdom. The nature, the MO, the, the priority of the kingdom of God. And then at the end of those three and a half years of ministry, after his death and after his resurrection, Jesus passed the mantle to the early church. And I think it's, it's very significant to note Jesus' instructions to his followers in that transition. And what he emphasized as he launched them on their way. The, the priorities, if you like, that were to define the kingdom culture that we then see worked out through the book of Acts. Do you want us to take a, a lightning whistle-stop tour through the book of Acts? It's going to be super fast. It's going to be action-packed, so buckle up. It starts actually at the end of Luke, the precursor to Acts. Luke 24, 49. And Jesus... Speaking to his disciples said, I'm going to send what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then um, moving into the beginning of Acts, Jesus told them to wait in, in the city. Because there was clearly something important that needed to happen first. Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power. The Amplified says, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and Bidford, and Stratford, and Evesham, and to the ends of the earth. Those places are indeed the ends of the earth. I jest. And then, of course, Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we see the fulfillment of the great prophecy of Joel chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes upon... God's people. And of course, it was so dramatic that, that passers-by jumped to the conclusion that they were drunk. 
But you know, that outpouring changed everything. Exhibit A, I reckon, is, is, is the Apostle Peter's stunning transformation. Transformation from impetuosity, from, from doubt and denial, to passionate and bold and powerful. And then Acts 2.43 had this recorded. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Moving into Acts chapter 3, we have one of my favorite scenes where Peter and John are at the temple gate called Beautiful. If you remember the story, there's a beggar there just asking for money, help me. And Peter says those immortal words, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went leaping and dancing and praising God. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and, and John before the Sanhedrin, thrown in prison. But when they're released, undeterred, they pray for boldness. And remember what happened? The whole building they were in began to shake. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, says that, that many miraculous signs and wonders were done. In fact, in that chapter it says, even those passing under Peter's shadow were healed. Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Listen to what it says about him, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Acts chapter 8, this is the story of Philip. Philip find, finds a, an Ethiopian official in the desert reading from the book of Isaiah. Uh, and in that story, Philip points him to Jesus, baptizes him there and then. And if you read at the end of that, it says that actually he was translated. He vanished and disappeared and was transported back to the city. In Acts chapter 9, we have the, the persecutor-in-chief, Saul. Knocked off his high horse, blinded by the light, and, and miraculously converted out of the blue on the road to Damascus. And in that chapter, we have a lady called Dorcas raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 10, we have Cornelius' dream, and the Holy Spirit summons Peter and a whole group of Gentiles. This was a, a big breakthrough. A huge group of Gentiles were saved and healed and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 16, another great story. Paul and Silas are in jail again. And as they sing praises at midnight, the prison doors swing wide open. And they and all the prisoners and actually the jailers get gloriously saved, set free. Acts chapter 19, nearly there, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Next chapter, chapter 20. Eutychus falls asleep, falls from a third story. And Paul raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 28, the shipwreck scene. Remember, Paul is bitten by a poisonous snake and is completely unharmed. It says there, as a result of that, he had the opportunity to lay hands on and heal the father of the chief official on the island, Malta. Verse 9 says, all 
all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Do you get the picture? I'm concerned that might have been a little bit too subtle for early on a Sunday morning. But here's the point. If you take the supernatural out of the book of Acts, it's not a great deal left. Which for me gives us a challenging question. If you take the supernatural out of the barn... What's left? And I think the danger is far too much. You know, we have some lovely friendship groups, some well-run programs, lots of great theory. But the danger is what we're left with is, is religion and legalism and politics. And as I said right at the start, I'm so grateful don't get me wrong, for all that the Lord has done here in and around and through the barn over the last how many years? It's 18 years. But I don't know about you. I have an unstinting and compelling belief that our church should look rather more like the early church of the book of Acts. You know, barn life is rather lacking in shaking buildings. And the dead being raised. Evangelists vanishing into thin air. You know, there's a lot of well-intentioned. There's a lot of faithful and committed natural. But I reckon we need to open the door to rather more of the supernatural. Amen. Bad news, folks. We are not going to change the world with the best of Jamie and friends, wonderful though they may be. As I've said many times, I don't know about you, but I have seen what I can do in my own strength. And it is singularly unimpressive. But I've had a glimpse of what God can do. And I'm captivated. For me, those, those glimpses were watching countless miracles take place before my eyes in ice hockey stadiums in Prague in 1990. And for me, that changed everything. It literally redirected my life. For context, I want to tell you a story. Some of you will probably have heard this before. But um, when my kids were young, uh, we were fortunate enough to live in Wasega Beach, the longest freshwater beach in the world, I think, uh, on, in Georgian Bay, Lake Huron. And we were there, and you can imagine the scene. The little ones are out paddling in the water. Dad is kind of up to his ankles. Um, kids are having a great time. And there was another family there. And, 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 and it's another dad with his kids. And you, you can imagine it. The kids slowly started inching closer to closer, getting into each other's orbit. And eventually, before you know it, the kids are playing happily together in the rippling waves. Slowly and I, the dad and I, would kind of shuffle up together very sensibly and, you know, boringly. And eventually, we did strike up a conversation. And I, I asked this guy his name and, and, and what he did. And, and he, he said that he was involved with a language project 
somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Language project. My, my periscope went up. I, I can read between them lines. And so we started a, a conversation. Uh, and what it actually turned out was that they were missionaries. And they were working in a French-speaking, mainly Muslim area, small island in the Indian Ocean. And they were actually on furlough. And they'd been five years. And they were back doing what missionaries do, coming back home and visiting friends and family and just replenishing before they could go out there. And I was in awe. I thought, how fantastic for these people. But as, as I got talking, I, I think what I find most striking is, you know, so what fruit are you seeing? And he said, you know, we've been there five years and we've not seen a single conversion. And kind of my heart sank a little bit, really. And, and, and as, he, as he carried on talking, he said that actually the, the, the overwhelming spiritual force on that island were with whirling dervishes. I don't know if you've heard of whirling dervishes. It's a real, genuine, kind of charismatic, Muslim, slightly crazy dancing thing. I, it's a real thing. And they said that actually they, everyone on the island was terrified of the witch doctors. And it seemed to me that they had 99% of the spiritual power and energy that was being released on that island seemed to be coming from the witch doctors. And as I heard their story, I, I, I didn't say it, but bit in my heart I thought, with, with all due respect, it's, it's as though you're going to war with a peace shooter. Contrast that with my experiences with Steve Ryder in Prague, with, with, with a stadium full of people, and, and miracle after miracle. You know, people genuinely coming in on stretchers and walking home carrying them. You know, I, I personally got to pray for people and feel their legs and their limbs stretching in my hands as I prayed. Such was the power of God in evidence there. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 1 Corinthians 4.20 For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5 Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Folks, we are not going to make a ripple, let alone a dent with pea shooters when our opponents have AK-47s. We are not going to change the world with natural church. However cheery, however well run and organized, however well-intentioned, if, if we limit ourselves to, to the best we can do, we're not going to change the world. We're not going to change the world if we neglect the supernatural power of God that so characterized the life and ministry of the early church. Can I get an amen? Amen. We look at two questions this morning. Reality only time really to scratch the surface. And I'll be honest enough, to say, I personally like you, I don't have all the answers to these questions, but we're going to ask the questions and we're going to start looking at them. Question number one is when we talk about naturally supernatural, what are we aiming for? Question number one. And then question number two, what steps can we take 
to get a little bit closer. So let's look at the first one. What, what are we aiming for? What are the, the hallmarks of a naturally supernatural culture? Reasonably obvious answer. I think the first one is miracles. Pretty confident no one in this room is anti-miracles. If we're honest, I'm sure we could all use a few. And we wouldn't complain if we saw rather more in church. Mark 16, 17, right at the end of the gospel account. Jesus has commissioned the church and he says this, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will, they will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. And then in verse 20, and the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what he had said. So confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. But by the supernatural, we mean God intervening in human affairs. We mean heaven invading earth. When the spiritual spills over into the natural. A miracle takes place when God does what we ourselves simply cannot. Don't I reckon? I reckon this happens on micro and macro levels. And actually, I suspect this happens more often than we realize. We pray for miracles because Jesus told us to. We pray for miracles because the early church did so all the time. We pray for miracles because we, be we have been convinced there is no limit to what God can do. And if that is the case, then, then opening the door to, to supernatural divine intervention is entirely reasonable and entirely logical. And it should be something we do naturally. Something we do instinctively because it's supposed to be a normative part of kingdom culture. Number one, miracles. Number two, the prophetic. Back into Acts chapter two. In the last days, God says, again, this is Joel chapter two, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. You know, there is so much more to this world than what we can naturally see. And a significant part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to, is to open our spiritual eyes. And God uses prophetic gifts to help us to see clearer and to see deeper and to see further. God uses prophetic gifts to, to unlock doors and to, to soften hearts and to inspire realignment and, and even redirection. In my experience, God uses prophetic gifts as can openers. 
whether that be words of wisdom, maybe the preaching gift, maybe skillful, sensitive worship leaders. So in my early teens, I attended a series of discipleship classes in East Grinstead taught by a man called Bob Hodge. And he taught us that we were to be naturally spiritual and spiritually natural, which sounded very good to my 14-year-old brain. We should be naturally spiritual. It should come natural to us. And we should be spiritually natural. And then he went on to say we should be naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. In other words, this stuff should start to become natural for us. We're not talking here about about some spooky and freaky super spirituality. We're talking about what God and you and I do together. We're not talking about a melodramatic, thus saith the Lord, followed by some extraordinary proclamation of future events on a world scale. But as we pray, God starts to show us things. He drops thoughts into our spirit. He reminds us of his promises and we start to pray out his will and purposes. We start to speak out his will and purposes, to act out his will and purposes. And the more that happens, the more naturally supernatural it becomes. Number three, uh, number three hallmarks of naturally supernatural culture. What we're aiming for, what we're emphasizing, what we're prioritizing. Number three is the anointing. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love, power and love and self-discipline. Isaiah said, it is the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. I grew up with Steve Ryder. So I've seen and I respect the healing anointing. And when you've seen miracles like that, both in stadium crusades and in hotel lobbies, you learn to appreciate the anointing. The anointing is God's super on your natural. And some people have divinely imparted gifts in their spiritual DNA or or power in their hands or wisdom on their lips. Why? Because God Almighty has put it there. And so a naturally supernatural culture attends to the anointing. It stirs and honors and releases and makes room for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It prioritizes the presence of God. It honors the Word of God. It invites the power of God. And it draws from the gift of God. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit is in the room, it ceases to be merely the best we can do. And if we learn to recognize and honor and lean into the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we'll begin to see the so much more that God can do.
really, really quick story. I was at a conference about, about 10 years ago, and it was a charismatic conference, and, and um, you know, it was a lovely heart, and people were worshipping, and they really wanted to see God move and do things. And, and we were at a meeting, uh, I think it might have been the first meeting actually, and, and there was a, a special guest speaker there, you know, a very respected man of God. And I sat in my seat somewhere at the back for about half an hour, 45 minutes, watching the team desperately, desperately trying to stir something up. Someone in here must have a prophetic word and that kind of spirit. And it was, you know, we were working and they were sweating and pumping. You know, that, that's what it looked like to me from the three quarters of the way back. And I remember really early on, I'd been to a similar thing, I think the night before, and I, I wanted to say... Just get the gift on the stage. Right? And this, this night was Carl Beach, actually. You know, very, very powerful speaker, full of faith, strong in the word. And, you know, when he got up and he started to share the word that God had put in his heart under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the whole thing cracked wide open. And Joe showed me, I think, you can, you can sweat and toil, you can give it your best shot. Or we can open up the floor of the Holy Spirit, which you think is going to be better. So how do we get there? I realize you guys are slowing me down, so I'm going to speed up. Because I've got four here. we got all day. Number one, how do we get there, folks? Number one, invite God in. Psalm 24, verse 7, this is the Living Bible. Open up. Our ancient gates, and let the King of Glory in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, invincible in battle. Yes, open wide the gates, and let the King of Glory in. Kind of reminds me of my brother tells a story in his early revivalist days of of being at a meeting, and the, the pastor was standing there, sort of on the front row. And the story goes that the pastor said, Lord, whatever you need to do to move in this meeting, Lord, do it. And the Holy Spirit knocked him over, sent him about five or six rows flat on his back around about there. And he said, I, I, I kind of get the message. Our job is to open the door through worship and prayer so the King of glory can come in. He so desperately wants to come in. He's removed the veil of flesh that once stood between us. But we need to tear down our own walls of flesh and fear and pride that keep him at arm's length. When you're preparing, there's one or two lines that kind of leap up inside your spirit. I think that's the kind of prophetic edge. This is one of them. Why is it that we keep God at arm's length? Is it flesh? Is it pride? Is it fear? What is it? Why would we do that? So if we want more, if we want to open the door to the supernatural power of God, then worship is crucial. Because it's how we open wide the gates and let the King of Glory in. Worship is crucial because it literally changes the spiritual atmosphere. We saw that this morning. And worship is crucial because it breaks down our resistance and it's how we get ourselves out of the way 
so God can come in as that pastor discovered. So number one, we have to invite God in. And we'll keep inviting God in. And we'll keep praying those prayers. And the host will keep praying those prayers. And the worship leader will keep praying those prayers. And the preacher will keep praying those prayers. We're going to invite God in. Number two is be present and attentive. Revelation 2 verse 7. Anyone with ears must hear. Sorry, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. In other words, God is at work. He is speaking. The Holy Spirit is on the move. We must learn to be attentive to what God is prompting and whispering. We must be on the lookout for what God is already doing and be ready to jump on board. Whether that's in church service context, whether that's in connect group, or whether that's in, in your conversations, whether that's out in the world. We must be on the lookout for what God is doing and be ready to jump on board. Here's another line. We need to become attentive to the supernatural, not just locked into the natural. I think we have a world that is training us to be naturally thinking. And we, it's easy for us to get locked into that and lose sight of the peripheral vision, which is the supernatural vision, the things that the Holy Spirit is doing and stirring and whispering. Now that song, we sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We want to see you. We need to see you. To that end, I'd say this. Let's, let's learn to dialogue with the Holy Spirit through the day so you can break off those natural shackles and open yourself up to the work of the Spirit. Learn to be sensitive to what, to what com the compassion of the Holy Spirit is stirring. To take every opportunity to ask what, what the Word of God is saying. Let's increase our level of expectation. What's the prayer that I that I was taught to pray. Lord, we be physically and geographically across the paths of those people who need to hear what I have to say and need to drink the water that is in my well. Start to shift that expectation. Number three, obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Obvious one. John 10 verse 4. After he, that is the shepherd, has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, the sheep, and they follow him because they know his voice. He walks ahead. We follow where he leads because we know his voice. It is the key. Natural seed produces natural fruit. If you want supernatural fruit, it's going to take a supernatural seed. If it's our ideas, if it's our inspiration, if it's our own steam, that's one thing. But if we listen to and obey what the Holy Spirit is prompting, that opens it up to supernatural possibilities. And for me, when it comes to listening to and obeying the Holy Spirit, I, I'd rather take a risk and get it wrong occasionally than never step out at all. 
Kingdom culture value number six is the spirit of faith. That's what comes next. Suffice it to say this, our default position, if we want to be a naturally supernatural people, should be obedience. Willing and quick and accurate. And we're going to need to have to do a whole lot more of that if we're going to see an explosion of naturally supernatural. Nearly there. Number four is pray bold prayers. Not quite sure why this jumped into my head. A very famous hockey player, uh, ice hockey called Wayne Gretzky, said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Let me put it like this. 100% of the prayers you don't pray won't get answered. Mark 11:23. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And here's the premise. There is mountain-moving prayer. There is a prayer that moves mountains. When we pray, mountains are moved, and demons tremble, and angels are commissioned, and And circumstances change and attitudes shift. And the awesome power of God is released. Do you believe that? Not enough time tonight for for a message on today for tonight. I'm not going to preach that long, don't worry. Not enough time for a message on prayer. Suffice it to say that Jesus, as we've just read, and in numerous other occasions, invited us to pray bold prayers in his name. You see, supernatural fruit doesn't grow from timid, apologetic, wishful thinking prayers. Supernatural fruit goes when we step out boldly, when we pray the word, and when we release our faith. And I propose that, this is for me, that if we have shrunk back from that at all, We're going to get back to that in 2024. That will start today.